You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, the first reminder is to remember that we must dwell with God through the local church. We must dwell with God through the local church. If you're new to ascend, if you're new to this Christianity thing, or maybe you're just kicking the tires, the last two years have been challenging. You've had the experience of COVID. You've seen the shift of our country. You've been experiencing all of the social trends, and you're at a place in your life where you know you need something different. And so for you, this Bible or church thing is not familiar. You will be reminded that the the book of Revelation is at the very end. So at the very end of this Bible that we preach from, if you don't have a Bible, just grab one in the seats in front of you. We're going to be turning all over this book, but what we want you to see is that this book is not just an ancient text. It's not just a book that a certain group of individuals who have education from institutions or who have been religious for many years can understand. This book is a book that we can understand to point us to our creator, to give us what we need to live a life of hope and help. And so Revelation is where we begin. And I just want you to see in chapters 2 and 3 these churches that are identified. Verse 1 of chapter 2 to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. Verse 8, to the angel of the church of Smyrna. Verse 17, or verse 12, the church of Pergamum. The church of Thyatira in verse 18. The church of Sardis in chapter 3, verse 1. The church of Philadelphia in verse 7 of chapter 3. And the church of Laodicea in verse 14 of chapter 3. Now, why do I highlight these churches? It's because of this. Each one of these churches are actual churches. They're churches with different cultures, churches with different buildings, different musical styles, different dress that they would arrive to church in. And that's something that we experienced this summer. We attended West Franklin Church in Franklin, Tennessee. We attended Summit Church in Naples, Florida, and Faith Bible Church in Naples. We attended Countryside Church just down the road. We attended Mission Road Bible Church. We attended Redeemer Presbyterian Church just down the road. And what we found with each one of these churches is that there were different buildings. There were different cultures. There was different dress, different denominations, different challenges that they were facing, different strengths that they demonstrated. But each one of those different churches had the same mission. And that was exalt Jesus Christ through fulfilling the Great Commission. What a great reminder that was to us this summer. And it ties in with rest, but to show you that, what I want to do is I want to, you know when you go to a restaurant and they bring out the, 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 the desserts? 
And especially, we, we go to Seasons 52, and if you've ever been there, they, they give you like this tease. They pull out like these little shot glasses that are filled with desserts that are delicious. And they, they try to sell you on them, and you taste them, and you're like, I, I want more, but I can't afford it. That's what I'm about to do with how rest and dwelling and church all tied together. And if you want to drink more, if you want to eat more, then please write down some of these references. Please, please write down some of these concepts and you can spend the next few weeks digging into it like we did this summer. But, but here's what I want us to take away. Our experience this summer and our experience by looking at these verses in Revelation Remind us two really important things. First of all, that there is a remnant out there. I don't know about you, but what's happened over the last three months has been concerning. It seems like the, the headlines every day are concerning. Whether it be famous people taking their lives, whether it be school shootings, whether it be the mess that is politics today, not the least of which was the, 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 the defeat of the amendment a few weeks ago here in Kansas. But as we look around at all of the mess that is going on in society, we need to be reminded that there is a remnant of the people of God. That even though there are people that look different than us, even though there are people that worship different than us, even though there are people from different denominations and backgrounds than us, there is a remnant of the people of God. And listen, we need to be praying for one another. So many of these churches that we attended actually had time in their service where they prayed for other churches. And so I just want to stop right now and do that. And so whether you have come from another church, whether you grew up in another church, whether even some of these churches that I mentioned, you, you know them or you know people from them, or maybe you just want to grab one of the churches that I mentioned to you that we attended, whatever it is, I want to just take a moment right now, just bow your heads, close your eyes in your seats, just quietly, would you pray for specific churches and churches that are dedicated to the essential doctrines of the word and for exalting Christ through the Great Commission, would you pray for them? Pray for the 10 churches that were represented here as men came in and preached from the Great Commission Collective. Would you just pray for them right now? Father, I want to pray for the church in West Franklin. I want to pray for Summit Church in Southwest Florida. I want to pray for Faith Bible Church in Naples. I pray for Countryside that even right now is worshiping you and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. I pray for Mission Road Bible Church. I pray for Redeemer Presbyterian. There's so many churches this morning, M28 in Bucharest, all of the GCC churches that were represented this summer, all of the GCC churches all over the world, so many churches, just like these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, churches with different cultures, churches with different needs, churches 
that are committed to the Great Commission in exalting Christ? Would you just strengthen them, especially in our day? Strengthen them to conquer, to overcome the city of Babylon and all of its allurements. Would you cause them to endure through the gospel of Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. But how does the local church tie in with this concept of rest? Well, in order to see that, I invite you to turn back to Genesis chapter 2. Here's a little taste of the dessert of what is church. And this idea of church, it's a lot of different opinions. There's a lot of different expressions of what the church is. But what I want to do is I want to actually just very quickly go through the entire Bible to show us what the purpose of what we're doing right now is. What, what the purpose of Ascend Church and Countryside and Redeemer and Mission Road and, and all of these local churches that are dotting the maps of the entire earth right now, what, what is the purpose of them? And, and the answer to that is to give God's people rest, true rest. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now there's so much about this verse that is fascinating. What's fascinating about this verse is it actually teaches us about what true rest is. I wish I could have attended Sally's workshop. I got to hear her read through her message, but you ladies were blessed by just expanding that little shot glass of dessert that I'm giving you for a full feast. But embedded in verse 2 is a spiritual reality that actually gets us to what local church ministry is. If you read chapter 1 and you look at the creation narrative, you see that at the end of each day, there is a phrase that repeats. There was evening and there was morning Day one, evening and morning, day two. Would you look at chapter two and verse two? It says the seventh day, but what phrase is missing? Evening and morning. That was intentional, I believe, by Moses, the author of Genesis. What he's doing is he's showing that the activity that God did on day seven points his people to a spiritual reality that is different from the day-to-day reality of this horizontal earth. What he's showing us is that rest in God does not have a beginning or an end. It is an ongoing reality, and I'll explain more about verse 2, but I want us to begin by understanding that dwelling with God and spending time with Him is the spiritual reality of day 7 that God has created humanity to enjoy. Here's what I found. <laughs> I hope Siri gets it. When we get to chapter 3, the function changes, the form changes. After the fall, the the form changes. In fact, would you look at chapter 3 of Genesis and look at verse 8? 
you'll have to forgive me. I, I'm out of my routine, so I don't know how long I'm going to preach this morning. <laughs> but I can promise you that point four is very, very, very brief. I'm just going to explain to you what the next book study is. So just bear with me on this. Look, look at verse eight. It says, they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Would you underline that phrase? Walking in the garden is a phrase of intimacy. It's a phrase of relationship. And as we follow the text, and as we actually look at the words that Moses included, we get the idea here that this was a daily routine. That it was a daily ritual that the God of the universe would actually physically walk with Adam and Eve. And wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Wouldn't you have loved to, to listen to those conversations? But this intimacy of relationship, this abiding, this dwelling is what God has designed humanity to enjoy, to rest, to walk, to abide with God. But unfortunately, chapter 3 also includes the fall, doesn't it? And so things change a little bit. You can turn if you want to, or you can just write this down. Leviticus chapter 26. I think it was Ian Hales that said what I often say is that Leviticus is where Bible reading plans go to die. But look at Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 11. God says... I will make my dwelling among you. Do you see this vocabulary? And my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And that concept, that phraseology there, is continuing this idea of what we saw in the Garden of Eden. That God will be abiding with his people. That he will be dwelling with his people. That his people will experience and enjoy the rest that he modeled on the seventh day. But, but the concept here focuses in on worship and here the tabernacle. And God is saying that the form changes, but the function continues. That God's people will be at rest when they are abiding with God. And the Jews did that initially when they came to the tabernacle to worship. They would do that again as the temple was built in Jerusalem. But you can write this down or you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where this advances to our concept of the local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, speaking here in verse 16 of both the individual follower of Christ and the local church. Listen to what Paul says. Do you not know that you are God's temple? You see that terminology again. And not only are you God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you. You see how awesome this is? Is that this idea of rest that God created humanity to enjoy, that he modeled by resting on the seventh day. And then continuing through the tabernacle, despite humanity falling through their sin, it continued in the temple. He continues today through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and by us assembling as a local body of Jesus Christ. 
what this little shot glass of dessert tells us is that true rest is found in our dwelling with God, thinking his thoughts, pursuing what he values, and walking with him. And so, friends, let's remember there are local churches all over not only this country, but this entire earth that, is com- that are committed to exalting Christ through fulfilling the Great Commission. If God has called you to ascend, then, friend, dwell with God in the local church and enjoy the rest that he has designed. But we, we move then to a second takeaway which is this, remember to work hard with a resting pulse. Work hard with a resting pulse. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, this is none other than the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. And his words say this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Are any of you weary? Any of you feel like the hits just keep on coming? Any of you just think of the idea of going to work tomorrow and it just makes you anxious or going to school tomorrow makes you anxious? You're going to see family, you're going to see friends, makes you anxious. You're wondering what's going to happen in this crazy world next week. It makes you anxious. Jesus is speaking to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Jesus. What is this rest going to be? It's like the woman at the well. I'm giving you living water. Yes, Jesus, give me that so I don't have to pull from the well at the noonday hour every day. That's not what Jesus was saying here. He's saying, I'm going to give you my rest. Not not the rest that the city of Babylon says that you deserve, but my rest. And, And what does this rest look like? Look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Well, what's fascinating about this is that the yoke is a tool for work. Jesus is not saying take a vacation and never return. He's not saying that rest is the absence of work. What he says is rest is the right pulse during work. I had a counselor this summer by the name of Garrett Higby. He texted me just as the service was starting. I am so grateful for Garrett. Many of you are familiar with Garrett. He's taught much of our soul care training small group training. Garrett has poured his life into Sally and me this summer despite his crazy, busy life. And Garrett used this phrase that I was not familiar with, and that is work with a resting pulse. Back in Genesis chapter 2, it says that The Lord God stopped his work and he rested, but the idea there is that he didn't take a vacation from work. The idea is is that the end of the seventh day, and actually on the seventh day, he stopped his creation work, but he continued working. In fact, would you write down Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17? 
It says that the creator sustains life. He upholds life. And so just because God rested on the seventh day didn't mean he stopped working. This summer, I have to tell you, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but it was awesome to not read emails. It was great to know that I didn't need to respond to every text. It was great to not have meetings. It was great to not be tied down to a calendar. It was great to not have to mow my yard, to clean the house. Some of you are like, "Mm mm-hmm, keep piling it on. But you know what? There was still work to be done. I was still a dad, still a husband, still had assignments from Garrett. As we arrived at August, there was still this idea of re-entry. And what I realized is that work never stops. Even when you go on vacation, how many of you have come back home and said, I need another vacation? Work never stops this side of eternity. So I started wrestling with, oh no, what do I do when I come back to work? And I had to realize that what God has designed us to do is not to avoid work, but to work with a resting pulse. And you may be sitting there and saying, okay, how do I do that? Well, let me give you two ways you can do that. Number one, reject the rest of Babylon. Reject the rest of Babylon. Reject what Babylon says is rest. Now, now if you've come to ascend, you, you know what that means, but if you, you haven't or you haven't heard me say that, let me explain to you what Babylon is. Babylon is a concept. It, it was a historical city, but it actually is a concept that goes all the way back to Genesis 11 and continues through the book of Revelation. Babylon is the world system. It's the world system that King Satan is driving. He's the ruler of the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 says. And he has designed this world system to appeal to the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So this world system is designed to appeal to your flesh. And the world says you should rest and not be productive, doesn't it? I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but we spent time in Restville, which is Florida. We spent time in an entire state that is designed to appeal to retirement. Now listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with retirement. Please hear me when I say that. But the creator did not design us to live a life of unproductivity. He did not design us to just golf all day, collect shells all day, go from one dinner party to the next, play miniature golf all the time, and look at the end of each day and say, gosh, I accomplished nothing as a pattern of our life. Nothing wrong with doing that from time to time. Nothing wrong with sprinkling that in in your daily routine. But as a pattern of our life, we must reject the rest of Babylon. Because listen, friend, it does not satisfy. I got to play a a lot of video games this summer. And it was fun. And I made it to the big leagues and MLB the show. Finally. 
But you know what? I sit there and I think, okay, what did that accomplish? What do I have to show for this? I was the AL MVP for 2024. That's great. It's Habel. It's the Hebrew word for vanity in Ecclesiastes. It's that smoke that lingers after you blow out your candle on the birthday cake. It's there. You can feel it. You can put it in your pocket, but it doesn't last. It doesn't deliver. And friends, what's so easy for us is that we can be allured into the Babylonian system and we can buy into activities. We can buy into careers. We can buy into living our lives through our children. We can buy into what Babylon's system says is real and it will satisfy, but at the end it's empty. And so friend, when we're thinking of this concept of rest, remember that rest is not the avoidance of work. The rest that God has designed us for is actually resting with a, at working with a restful pulse. Number two, work and rest with gospel lenses. Work and rest with gospel lenses. Back in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus thankfully tells us exactly how to do this. In verse 28 of Matthew 11, he says, you're you're laboring and you're heavy laden. Acknowledge that. Admit that. Admit that you're weary. Admit that this world system doesn't deliver. Admit it. Don't pretend. Don't do the social media thing and portray that you have it all together. Listen, everyone is hurting. Everyone is insecure. And we may portray ourselves to be what we want people to think of us, but at the end of the day, we're all hurting. We're all living in this corrupt system with our flesh. Jesus says, admit that. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Okay, what does that look like? Well, it first of all means, it looks like take his yoke upon you. The word yoke and the tool that was actually present in the first century is a tool that enables effective and productive work. It would be put on the necks of oxen and usually two would work together and because it was designed correctly, because it was light and easy, they would be able to be effective and productive in plowing the field. There's other passages that talk about being unequally yoked. There's other passages that talk about the burden of the world system and the world's expectations and definitions. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and work hard the way I've designed it. And what does that look like? Look at what it says. It says, learn from me. So, so here's what it means to work with a resting pulse. Train your mind to think like Christ thinks. Train your mind to value the things that he values. Train your life to be a life that walks with Christ. That's what it means to take his yoke upon you. And see, when you have these lenses, that affects your life practically, doesn't it? 
It, it impacts the activities that you say yes to and say no to. It impacts the friends that you spend time with. It impacts the decisions that you make for your kids' activities, for the job that you consider taking. It, it impacts every area of your life. It impacts how you view your spouse. It impacts how you view your singleness. It impacts how you view your barrenness. It impacts how you read headlines and respond to them. When you have gospel lenses, you are able to work with a resting pulse. But that still doesn't deliver all of the application that I want us to walk away with, which brings me to number three. Remember, drink before you're thirsty. Drink before you're thirsty. So we, we find our rest by dwelling together in the local church. We understand that God has designed us to work, but to do so with a resting pulse but to continue this thread and to continue building, we must drink before we're thirsty. I invite you to turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 to set up a framework for this concept. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. In the Greek translation of Ecclesiastes 3, there are two different words here that are translated season and time. And this is important because it becomes very practical for us who are living in the real world. The word for season is kairos, and the word for time is chronos. The reason I want to highlight this is because this is the time we all live in. There are seasons of life, aren't there? There are kairoses in our lives. Those are potentially, if you're married and you have young kids, the kairos of parenting young kids. I'm learning that is very different than the kairos of parenting teenagers. It's very different than the kairos of being an empty nester. If you are single, this is a kairos that God has given to you. If you're a high schooler preparing to be in college, that is the kairos that God has given to you. God has designed your kairoses. But there's also chronoses. Well, those are predictable times. Those are the 24-hour periods of day and night. It's the weeks of Sunday through Saturday. It's the months it's the years. These are predictable. They happen every day, every week, every month. And what Solomon is saying here in Ecclesiastes 3 is that God has designed our kairoses and our chronoses intentionally. In fact, if you go down to verse 11, would you look at that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3? He has made everything beautiful in its time. And when you look back at these contrasts of a time to die, a time to be born, a time to laugh, and a time to mourn, what he's saying is that God has actually orchestrated all of these chronoses and kairoses of our lives. Do you see how this changes our perspective? When we have this lens on in our lives, we become less cynical, don't we? 
and we become more intentional. God has designed and made beautiful every chronos and kairos in our lives. And listen, every chronos and kairos, would you write this down, is important for life-giving and worshipful activities. Every kairos and every chronos in our lives is important for life-giving and worshipful activities. We see this in the history of Israel, don't we, with days that were called Sabbath days, years that were called Sabbath years, a 50th year that was called a Jubilee year. We see this through the example of Jesus himself as we studied the gospel of Mark. He would go away to the wilderness. He would go to the mountains. He would go down by the sea and he would experience life-giving and worshipful activities. But God has also reminded us through his creation that these rhythms are important through day and night, through weeks, through months, through years. Three years into marriage, I was released from minor league baseball unexpectedly. I went into the business world and decided I wanted to be an executive, so I got my MBA. A few years later, God placed a call on our family to pursue ministry. So I got my master's of divinity. We planted a church. We sold our building. We built this new one. Pursued my doctorate. And some of you might be hearing all of that and say, wow, that that guy does not let grass grow under his feet. He's a doer. He's a betterer. You know what's interesting is we went into sabbatical, I thought, with a very healthy marriage, and it was for the most part, but what I didn't realize is that the walls had a lot of cracks in them. Our walls were being held up by scaffolding. But even though we did have a healthy marriage, it would not continue to be healthy for the long term unless we made changes. As I reflected on my own life emotionally and physically and spiritually, I I didn't realize, but I was dehydrated. I, I would end sermons and I would, instead of head out to spend time with guests and with our people, I would go to the backstage and sit in the green room and just pray that nobody would come in. Thank God I had not derailed. Thank God I had not quit. But I was dehydrated and I didn't even realize it. So how do we, through the example of Israel, through the example of Jesus, through the example of creation, do what Garrett told me I need to do, and that is drink before we're thirsty. We need to identify six areas of health, and I would encourage you to write these down. They'll be up on the screen. Six areas of health that if you're drinking regularly in these areas, more often than not, you will have a healthy life. Number one, spiritual health. And with all of these, having daily and weekly and monthly and quarterly and annual events on the calendar. And friends, what I've found in my life, and some of you may not need this, but I need to put it on my calendar and I need to make it a non-negotiable and have people keeping me accountable because if not, guess what? 
If there's space on the calendar, it gets filled. That's our life, isn't it? That's the 21st century. I can't tell you how many times I saw people, and I myself was this way, being at a place of rest, and all of a sudden, ding, or on the phone. And we're like Pavlov's dog. Oh, what, what, what's ESPN saying? What's Twitter saying? We are busy, busy people. And if we do not be, if we're not intentional, if these aren't non-negotiables, it's going to fill in. And how many of you have ever said in small group or would acknowledge now that, you know what? I need to spend more time with God, but I just haven't made it a priority. Now is the time, beloved, to focus on spiritual health and to put activities in your life daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annually for your spiritual health. The second one is emotional. Now this one I need to explain because dudes are going to be like, oh, not for me. And women are going to be like, finally. But this isn't like, I'm emotional. This is actually being aware. Actually seeing people. When you're walking into a store, actually opening the door for the person that's coming in behind you. Seeing people. Being aware in, your, in a room of people how you can impact people, reading their faces, moving past the veneer of everything is great, evaluating how you come across to people. This is emotional intelligence. We must put activities in our lives on a regular rhythm that help educate us, help keep us accountable for our emotional health. Third one, Relational. I, I struggle with this one. I found out this summer I'm more of a transactional person. I like to do and check things off my list, and that's the way I show love to people. And I genuinely love them, but I, I'm better at tasks than I am relationship. There's a great book I would commend to you called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. Relationships are messy. But put activities on a regular rhythm in your life to facilitate and cultivate healthy relationships. Number four, physical. I'm going to say this, and I hope that it is encouraging to us. We are an overweight country. And I know there are physical and medical issues that contribute to that. I get that. And I'm not saying everybody should look the same. But we do not spend time on our physical health. And friends, listen, I'm not saying we need to be training for the Olympics, but we need to be taking care of the bodies that God has given us. Taking a daily walk. Sally and I are deciding to do two to three times a week that we will be doing a prayer walk together. And I got to tell you, there's days where, no, (laughs) I don't want to do it. But every time we do it, we are so grateful. We, physic- we, we exercise the physical, but we also exercise the spiritual and the emotional and the relational. Cultivating physical health. Number five, intellectual health. We are a country that does not think for ourselves. We see this in politics. We see this in headlines. And we're constantly looking for Twitter to tell us, how should I think about this person? How should I think about this concept? 
But friends, we need to be challenging our intellectual mind. And again, healthy in healthy ways. Putting activities in our lives on regular rhythms, putting it on the calendar, making it non-negotiable, where we're stretching ourselves intellectually will lead to health. And then sixth, if you are working, uh, professional health is important. Professional health, cultivating, if you're a leader, how can you lead well? How can you lead healthy? And I've got a health plan that I'm sharing with an accountability partner, and Garrett is helping Sally and I construct one, and she shared a template with you. If you want to reach out to Kathy Stark, K Stark, you're welcome, Kathy, she's watching online. Stark at ascendkc.org. If you want it, we can send you the template where you can start to fill in some activities. But the whole idea for this, friend, is that we don't become dehydrated. And you might sit here and say, but Jeff, you don't know my capacity. I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm a type A. I can go, 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 go. So can I. And I didn't realize I was dehydrated. And so, friend, just like you who have experienced dehydration know it is not fun. You get hallucinations. You can cramp up when you have physical dehydration. Don't let yourself get dehydrated. Drink before you're thirsty because by the time you realize you're thirsty or dehydrated, it can be difficult. It can sometimes be impossible. So friend, remember these three things. Remember that true rest comes with dwelling with God and the tool he's given us in this age is the local church. Remember to work with a resting pulse. Remember to drink before you're thirsty. And then finally, number four, remember, conquer and endure through the revelation of Christ. I cannot wait, but we are going to study the book of Revelation. And I got I to tell you, friend, it's not going to be what you expect it to be. I've been praying about it. I've been studying it this entire summer. I thought it was going to be one thing, but it's going to be completely different. Not because I've decided it's going to be that, but because Jesus wanted it to be that way. And John writes it this way, but we don't often see it. And so we live in a day where there is pressure. There are pressures in our lives, politically, economically, socially, that are overwhelming. And as followers of Jesus Christ, it can feel sometimes that this is the end and we could derail and and all of this. But the book of Revelation is actually designed to teach us and equip us with exactly what we need to conquer the city of Babylon in our lives, to endure to the end that God has for us through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Lord willing, we'll be starting either next week or the following week. And I encourage you, to buckle up, to engage, because it will be life.